Amen. We may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And man, last week, Easter Sunday, amazing celebration. We had five uh, baptisms, which was awesome to get to celebrate. Um, we were in John chapter 20, looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and, and I mean, today, what an amazing uh, day it is outside. Like, it is an act of the Holy Spirit that you woke up this morning and looked outside saw the best day the Northwest has had um, since, I don't know, like four years ago. Uh, and you're like, you know what? Let's go to church. So you're here. And so I'll try to make this as quick and painless as possible for you. We're going to be in John chapter 20. And so um, all spring, we've been in this series in the book of 1 Peter called Rooted, Living Scattered, Not Shattered. And we said, hey, you know, there are situations and circumstances in our lives um, that, that cause us to be very uh, unsettled. And we start to think, maybe, maybe my roots aren't as deep as I think they are. And so we've been trying to shift our focus away from what is temporary back to what is transcendent. So we have an opportunity um, not to be reactive, uh, but to receive the grace of God uh, and to move ahead in a way that he would have for us. And so as we get started today, I want us to, to kind of to come to a place together uh, as one where we just recognize that we have all failed. Every one of us at some point in our life have failed in some way. We, we have a situation we've looked back on and we say, man, I really wish that I had handled that differently. And, and maybe you're, you're right now, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't think I have one. Then you are failing to recognize your pride in this moment right now, right? All of us have, have failed in some way, shape, or form. And these moments of failure um, uh, start to um, get bigger and bigger in the rear view as we start to think, maybe I'm more defined by my failures than where I've either succeeded or where um, God has blessed me in some way, shape, or form. And we can start to fall into despair and we start to think, man, what, what if I could go back? Or does anybody have a moment or, or a time in their life where you're like, I wish I could go back and get a redo at that moment? And I think all of us have those moments. And, and we think, you know, if I could just go back, go to neutral, restart, then I'd be more successful and more joyful now. We, like, like, if you just put me back in that situation, oh, I know I'll get it right this time. Um, growing up, um, uh, I was one of the first kids on my block to get a Nintendo. Okay, right, just original Nintendo, like not super, just Nintendo, right? And, and anybody knows there are two buttons on that, that, you know, gray console, right? Anybody know the two buttons? There's power, right? And then there's what? Reset. Reset. Yes, all the kids said it. They know, man, kids are like, that's like analog, right? They're like, yeah, we're listening to records and playing Nintendo. Um, and so, right, the reset button. And all of us think, you know, hey, I, I, in my life with the Lord, in, in whatever I got going on, I just want to reset. And, and I'm here to tell you, that's not good enough. I don't want just a reset. What, what God does for us in Jesus Christ is more than a reset. He brings us back to full restoration. See, the reset is, hey, I'm playing the game, things are going, I just don't like the way they are. Man, boom, hit that button. It's like it never happened, huh? And then you're like, I'm going to start over and do it again. The problem is, you and I, on our own, are still the same person navigating that game or navigating our lives. 
We need more than a reset to be back to neutral. When we've actually failed in ways that have harmed ourselves, harmed others, that have dishonored uh, the Lord, we need more than just a reset. We need restoration. God's answer for our need to have our failures addressed is not with a reset or a do-over, but with radical renewal that comes in and through Jesus. And so the reason we're in John chapter 21 today is because while we've been in 1 Peter um, uh, all spring, um, I want us to look at what God did in Peter's life. So when we get back to 1 Peter next week, we have a context for how God met Peter's greatest failure with even greater restoration. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to John chapter 21. We're going to go through the whole chapter today, um, but uh, we'll just look at it in kind of some big sections, starting first in verses 1 through 14. Uh, I'll just read them, and then we'll talk about them. So this is after the resurrection of Jesus, after everything that we talked about last week, um, uh, uh, celebrating Easter. It says this in, ver- in uh, verse 1 of chapter 21 of John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, um, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, he's talking about John, he said, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for a strip for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat and dragged the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is a narrative, this is a story, but I think there's a lot for us to learn from this narrative, um, it, particularly in the context of how we respond and how God responds to us in places of failure. So I've got, uh, in this section, I've got uh, five points to look at, and so number one is this. When we fail, we retreat. When we fail, we retreat. So the disciples, to be clear, all seven of those guys who are listed, every one of them failed Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so this is varsity A team of Jesus' disciples and leaders, and when the crucifixion happened, when the trial happened, in the garden happened, they all failed. They all turned their backs on Jesus. They've all, just like us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have ever succeeded in following Jesus perfectly. None of us have ever responded to God perfectly. And in this case, 
Peter, man, that's high profile failure. We haven't walked through the book of John for several years, but, but if you, you go back, you see Peter's failure. And, and, and on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter's like all in. He's like, hey, you know, none of us are ever gonna betray you, Lord. And then like Judas runs off and does his thing. And then, and then you know, Jesus, he's washed everybody's feet and Peter's like, yeah, just, just clean all of me, Jesus. I'm on all, all in on team Jesus. And, and, then, and then they go to the garden and he's like, hey, Peter, can you just, can you lead the prayer meeting for a while? Why pray over here? Peter's like, yeah, got it. Uh, I'm totally gonna get the rest of the disciples going. What do they do? They fall asleep. And then, and then Peter, who, who um, at one point, right, Judas comes with all these troops, and Peter's like, no, Jesus, I am so for you. I'm going to wage a one-man war against a cadre of soldiers. He gets out his sword. He's ready to go full violent for Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold, hold up, hold up. He's like, no, no, I told you, I, I'm never gonna turn my back on you. And earlier at, at dinner, at that last supper, Jesus had already told Peter, hey, you're, before the rooster crows today, before the morning comes, you're going to have denied me three times. If you grew up in church, you know the narrative, right? You know the story of, uh, of Jesus um, going through that trial three different times. Peter is it's brought up and he said, hey, do you know Jesus? Aren't you, aren't you one of the disciples? Hey, didn't I see you like earlier in the week rolling in with Jesus in that big parade when we're all singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, let's go, son of David. Like, like weren't you part of that team? Nope. Nope. Like, like you go like on Peter's Facebook and it's like, oh, Jesus and Peter, not mutual friends, right? He's like, whoa, we blocked him? The last time though, the last time, Jesus is looking Peter in the eye. And Peter still says, I don't know that guy. And, and last week when we saw that Jesus rose from the dead, he came out of the tomb and, and Peter has some excitement. Like, he's like, oh wow, Jesus was right. Jesus is right. He said he would rise three days later. He is alive. He is king. He is the savior. And yet there's gotta be something in Peter. And maybe the word shame. Where he's like, uh-oh, I don't know how to interact with this risen Jesus because I know on my own I'm, I'm just a failure. Devastating, epic fail. The rest of the, fail, of the disciples not so much better. And now Jesus is alive and he's, he's already met with the disciples twice already. And he said, hey, I'm bringing you peace. I'm bringing you reconciliation. But I think when we failed so big, we don't believe God's grace is big enough to overcome our shame. And so even when we, when we start to, to you know, you know, kind of come out of our shell a little bit, or maybe, maybe you're making your first trip back to church for a while, you're like, you know, hey, is there good news here? And you're like, ah, I'm just, I don't know if I'm ready to press in. And for Peter, when we fail, we retreat. And so they've gone to Galilee as they've been instructed and these seven guys are hanging out together uh, and, and already there's a loss of focus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Easter was last week. What, what next, right? Is, there, is the mission of God over? Like didn't we do all the things last week? And he's like, no, 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 no. We didn't, we, we still gave you a mission. Like you're supposed to be on mission. Like Jesus told Peter, like I'm gonna build my church you, you know, using you as a key part of it. And so these disciples led by Peter who've met Jesus, they've seen the risen Jesus, they've been given the Holy Spirit, they're on mission, but yet they're still weary, they're still ready to abandon the mission. It's like, well, 
We haven't seen Jesus for a little bit. We haven't seen God move for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. Let's just retreat. And so they go back to the life that they've always known before, and that was, that was fishing, right? And what's, what's amazing is, is they only meet futility. See, there's times where our old ways cannot birth a new restoration. Something has to change, but, but when we fail, we retreat. That brings us to number two. When we fail, we retreat specifically to where we've experienced success. See, for, for Peter, his proclivity to get uh, is, is here, and he's kind of standing in for us to say what happens when God has called us to do something, and we start to give up and we want to go back, and, and we told you, like, you know, Jesus called Peter from fishing and said, no, now you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to lead others into trusting and following Jesus. And you know, even in the midst of Peter's failure, what's interesting is there's no verses in the New Testament from the time that, that P- Peter has failed Jesus to meeting the risen Jesus where it says, oh, hey, by the way, Peter, you've been released from the mission. Yeah, that fail, it, it disqualified you in such a way that I don't even want to see you around God's people anymore. Hypocrite. Who do you think you are? No, that's, that's not what happens. He's, he's still been, been called to be on mission in this case. He hasn't been released from what Jesus has called him to do. And so I want you to ask yourself, where do you easily enjoy success? Like, where's your default where you're like, hey, I I know if I just put a little more energy in this uh, area of my life, like, it's going to go better. See, when we fail, we go to where we think we're going to find some success. Um, When I was in uh, college, um, uh, and, and I'd go to the IMA at UW, and I'd want to play pickup basketball. Uh, and uh, uh, like, there was different courts uh, of players. So, like, one court was just some legit straight ballers. We're talking scholarship athletes who are there for football or baseball or something else, and they just want to run some pickup games. And, and me and my my you know twenty year old pride, I'd be like, Yeah, I can I can hustle. Six foot white guy with no skills that can't jump. Like, yeah, this will be great. And I just get humiliated. And I'm like, well, okay, I failed there. I'll go to the court that's just the other like frat guys who like all played high school basketball. Well, minor detail, when I was in high school, I was in knowledgeable in the band. I was not a star athlete in any way, shape, or form. And so I'd go there and I'd kind of get ran again. I was like, okay, where am I going to find some success? And invariably, there would be a court of, of guys, you know, kind of in the corner, but they were playing. They were all like under six feet. And I was like, all right, those are my people. And I go out there, I block a couple shots, and I feel better about myself. That's what we do. We just go and find where, where can I succeed, or where am I comfortable when we fail? Where can I get an easy win? Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about rest and renewal. I'm not talking about how God's gifted you, and this is how you should be living. Now, as an adult, when I struggle when I'm hurting or when I feel like I've failed in some way, um, uh, I just kind of press in and work harder. So like, you know, like I'll go on vacation, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go for like a run and a bike ride every day on vacation. Or like, oh, I have nothing to do yesterday afternoon, so I'll just like change the oil on both of my cars and wash and wax them. Like, you know, why not, why, why chill? Why chill? We do this, we press in. And it's not always a bad thing, but it can be used at points to try to accomplish to try to succeed, 
to mask us engaging with where we failed or what God has called you to do. See, being busy and active is way easier than being still and actually having to process the pain. Actually having to process the shame. Actually having to think about, man, I've, I've failed. And so here's Peter with these guys. He's like, you know what, guys? Forget this noise. I'm going fishing. And, and to be clear, that brings us to um, point number three. God is good to let us fail when we've been strong. Um, God is good to let us fail when we've been strong. Um, these guys are all professional fishermen. So Peter's not like, hey, let's just take a quick break from the mission. Um, let's just go out in the afternoon, out on the lake, maybe have a couple soda pops with the guys and just enjoy each other. Like, no, no, this is my profession was fishing. I was called from that. I'm just gonna go back to that. And, and these guys, they are, they are incredibly gifted fishermen. They got the best boats. They know where to go. This is business. They are experienced. They know the water. They know the time of day. They've got all the equipment. And, and What's amazing is what do they produce after an exhausting night of fishing? It says they produced nothing. Absolutely zero. And again, it's like, it's not like striking out, like, well, we struck out fishing, but we still had a good time. It's like, we're gonna like try this for our new career again. Um, that's why I don't like going fishing. Because you, know, you, you fail, and I don't like failure. That's why I don't like golf. That's why I don't like baseball. Because fishing, golf, and baseball, 90% of your time is failing, right? I mean, I respect and like that you guys like golf and fishing and, and, and baseball. That, that's awesome. Um, but I, I just don't like failure that much. And so these guys, they're, like, they're not just failing. Like, it's an epic fail. And, and I've actually believed that this is God's kindness to them. He's being good to them to not let them succeed. I want you to imagine for a moment what would life have looked like for those disciples if when Peter's like, forget the mission, guys. Let's go back to fishing. And all of a sudden, they're crushing it. They're like, oh my gosh. Before we were following Jesus who was homeless, I mean, occasionally we'd run out of food and he'd like, you know, do one of his tricks, right? You know, and like, we'd all have food again. But he's not around right now. We need... We need some scratch. And if they had just gotten a whole bunch of fish and been super successful, I could just imagine Peter like, hey guys, I'm back in business. Let's go. Hey, John and his dad are here and the brothers, all the guys. Like, and we've already worked together. Hey, I mean, we've kind of seen how this goes. We got rid of Judas. He's a bit of dead weight, right? Let's just go fishing. And no, I believe God was kind to them and God is kind to us to let us fail when we're not walking or following the direction he wants for us. He's being good to us to not let us always enjoy success when it comes from relying on ourselves rather than relying on him. I think it's a good thing for us to be uncomfortable when we're not doing what God has called us to. Right? If, if, you're, if you're actively walking in what you know is, is sin or not in line with God's will, God's kindness is for you. We'll get to that in a moment. But part of God's kindness can, and I believe is at times, to make us uncomfortable when he's calling us to something different. When he's called us to, to be reliant on him. Disobedience to God should never lead us to comfort and success. It's only not in the long run. That leads us to number four. I mean, I, 
I mean, because right at this point, it's like, all right, they failed. They're going fishing. They failed again. You know, they've, they've rejected Jesus. God's like, hey, I'm holding back on you. I mean, that's, none of this sounds like good news yet. The turn starts here at number four. God is always able to bless us more than we are able to achieve. God is always able to bless us more than we are able to achieve. So these guys, sleepless night of labor, met with complete, total failure, no rest, no renewal. They're exhausted. I'm sure emotionally, mentally, physically, they're not in a better place than they were when the night started. They're really frustrated. They start to head back to shore. They're about, it says about 100 yards away. They see a guy on the shore. The guy's like, hey, how'd you guys do last night at the fishing? And, and like, you could, out of the seven of them, like, it doesn't say it in the text, but I just kind of imagine them mumbling, like, like did he catch anything? No. No. No, not much. No. Right? And they're embarrassed. And so Jesus tells them, well, why don't you go throw it out on the other side this time? Throw the net out again. This is, this is different, right? They're, they're, they're fishing. I want to be clear, like, like fishing's not a sin, right? Like, like working jobs are not sins. Like enjoying life is not a, a sin. So, so they're out now, and instead of just doing things on their own, they're now responding to Jesus who's meeting them in their failure. And Jesus says, throw them out on the other side. And their labor, their effort, their participation in following Jesus is blessed and it produces this great abundance and they, they recognize it's Jesus who's been working because they're like, wait, hold the phone. We have seen this before. Like we, 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 when Jesus first showed up, we were all tired after a night of not catching anything and, and, and we actually put the boats back out again and so much fish came in that it was like other boats had to come over and it was like sinking the boats and like all of a sudden after a night of failure, like, like they're, they're listening to the words of Jesus. They're responding to the call of Jesus and, and he's just legit blessing them. Do you think they didn't try the right side of the boat before? They'd probably gone right, left. I, I, don't, I don't really know how their fishing went. But all of a sudden, they're walking in line with God's direction. In the presence and direction of Jesus, they are more successful in their efforts than they could ever be on their own. We cannot, through our own efforts, achieve more than you are able to receive from God through blessing you. Yes, he's gifted us in different ways. We all have our jobs to do. We all have our areas of responsibility, whether we're students, parents, um, you know, whatever our, our, our work is, right? All of those things. But when we're trying to rely on ourselves and our strength only, we are going to get frustrated. And here, Jesus just blesses them. So apparently, while it's good for him to withhold from us when we're not walking, uh, always in his will. And I mean, hey, sometimes you can not follow God's will and, and you still get blessed. That, that happens. But where he starts with a withholding and its kindness, he then calls them out, directs them, and blesses them. So God's trajectory on this is one of blessing. And man, it, 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 even, it even gets better because you know, he, he's blessing them and, and Peter is, is seeing this and he's like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And he's overwhelmed and he jumps in the water and he, and he sprints out his 100 yard swim to uh, the shore. He leaves the other guys behind to, to do all the work, right? That, that sounds like Peter, right? Little, little fickle. 
What's amazing about this is when Jesus blessed Peter at the beginning of his ministry, when we first meet Peter, Peter's response to God's blessing in Jesus is one of shame and retreat. God, get away from me, I'm a sinner. Here, even in the midst of Peter still marinating on his failure, he's like, Jesus is weird. Jesus is working. I'm jumping in the water. I'm swimming. And and we know he's not a great runner. We learned that last week. He's probably not the greatest swimmer either, right? But he's making it. He gets out there, and he's, he's there, and he sees Jesus, and that leads us to number five. Jesus has prepared provision for us that we've not earned. Jesus has prepared provision for us that we've not earned. They get back to the shore, and Jesus has prepared. He's called them together for this breakfast, and John is so good to give us these details around what this meal looks like. He's like, oh my gosh, it was great. We've been out there all day. We're exhausted. Um, We failed. All of a sudden, we got this massive load of 153 fish. We go out, and there's just like this, oh man, nice charcoal fire. Jesus bought a solo stove. Just like put it right down there, right? I mean like, oh man, there was fish all cooked up. The bread, oh my gosh, Jesus and the carbs, so good, right? If Jesus made the best wine that the, part, the wedding planner had ever tasted, imagine the brunch Jesus could throw, right? I mean, oh gosh, yes, last week after service, we went home and my wife had prepared an awesome brunch. And, and it's oh, it great, it's a little taste of heaven, and so here's this provision that they haven't earned. He, the meal's not earned, the hospitality's not earned, um, and, and the details are, like I said, amazing. He's already grilling some fish, the bread's laid out, he's put out this spread, and then he says, hey, can, can you bring some of the fish that, that you caught? <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh yeah, the, those fish that y'all caught. He's asking them, bring some of that blessings, bring some of that provision that I've given you to the table. I've already got a full table, but, but guys, don't you feel like a feast? Don't you want more than just a, a nice little light breakfast, right? You know, continental breakfast, right? Continental. What continent has just like Danishes for breakfast? Well, I guess probably Europe, because that's where Denmark is. Okay. He's like, no, I want a feast. And, and I've already provided for you out in the sea, and all I'm asking is for you to give some of your provision that I've already given you to help make this meal better. I want to be explicitly clear. This is only if you're a Christian, if you are somebody who follows Jesus. He says, my allegiance is to Jesus. Then he calls us to respond to how he's provided to us obediently. We do that through cheerful giving, right? Cheerful, intentional, and sacrificial. That's how he wants us to align our lives. And so he gives this provision to them and he asks them to bring a little bit of food and and both the meal and the catch, guys, it's all grace. Yeah, I mean, they put some effort, if you want to call it that. Yeah, they worked. But everything they received wasn't something that they'd earned. None of them could have an attitude of like, well, no, no, Jesus, those are the fish we caught. Those are our fish. Jesus is like, Beginning of John says, I created all things. I spoke those fish into existence. Those are my fish. Everything they have, everything we have, has been given to us by Jesus. Every good gift is from the Lord. 
that sunrise some of us enjoyed this morning for the first time in quite a while. We're like, second winter might be over. Gift from the Lord. A relationship that we enjoy, friends that we enjoy, kids, jobs, whatever, anything that is good that we enjoy is a gift from the Lord. And so all we bring to the table is what Jesus has already given and blessed us with. And this is, this is all in the context of Jesus responding to Peter's failure. What an amazing blessing. God's response to our failure is a feast that he prepares. Let's keep going, verses 15 through 19, because I want us to see not just how we failed, but how Jesus restores. Verses 15 through 19 say this. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There are five points I want to cover in this section about our restoration that comes from Jesus. Number one is this. Restoration has a context. Restoration has a context. In this context, the restoration is a prepared meal, right? And it's not just a meal just with Peter. It was a, a feast that they were all having together. It was communals with the disciples. It was, it was Jesus, the disciples, enjoying a, a great meal on the beach with a sunrise, all the good things. Maybe Jesus had some coffee brought in. I don't know. And, and, and yet, this meal, intentional fellowship, this is the context that Jesus uses for restoration, right? He didn't call Peter in to like a reconciliation meeting. Whew, those are never fun. Well, first of all, it means things have gone bad, right? But like, no, hey, you know what? We're gonna, eat, we're gonna eat and talk this out. And what's amazing is you can follow the theme of meal throughout the Bible and, and you see that at the beginning of the Bible, God creates everything. He creates it good. He creates this bountiful garden and places man and woman in the garden, says be fruitful and multiply, eat. I mean, God literally starts creation by preparing a meal for people. Come and eat. And yet there's sin that enters when we cross God's limits and there's a meal of rejection where evil comes in, where lies are believed, where restoration is now needed because, because there's brokenness, there's sin, there's separation from God, there's separation from one another, there's separation from self. That's all through a meal. 
and God makes promises that he's going to bring restoration. And generations go by and God's people are, end up finding themselves in slavery in Egypt. And when God is about to bring their exodus, when God is about to bring their redemption, what does God do? Cook a meal. Cook up that Passover lamb. Take some of that blood and cover the door so that the angel of death will pass over you and your family. You are now a people defined by this Passover meal. And just like Peter and the disciples who get this, this taste of redemption, this, this taste of restoration and getting to see the risen Jesus, uh, God's people get some mission creep. And so they're wandering out in the wilderness. And what does God do to his people when they wander? Manna from heaven. Birds, meat and carbs. I'm gonna feed my people. I'm gonna feed you even in your wilderness. And then Jesus shows up. God's people have been separated and and in darkness for generations, right? Uh, And Jesus shows up and he begins his ministry where? At a wedding feast. Food's already taken care of, he just does the wine. And later as he's out there preaching his Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching to different people and big crowds are coming in, what does he do? A meal. Here's the truth of who God is, here's your provision, here's your meal. And then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, famously, the disciples gathered together for what? The Last Supper. I'm putting the air quotes there for a reason. Because it's at that supper where Jesus says, hey, when you guys are getting together to gather, I, w- I want you from now until the end of history to when you gather to, to take some bread and, and, and take the cup and to, to dip it and to, to remember that the meal that I'm about to give you, and that meal is my whole body given to you. My blood shed for you. He says it's that meal that will now define the people of God. And then it's breakfast, breakfast at the beach. And he's about to bring and he's restoration to Peter and his greatest failure and he does throw through the course of a meal. And how does the Bible end? Well, yeah, there's revelation that can get kind of scary, right? Because there's, you know, nations and all sorts of horrible things happening. Are we Babylon? Probably, yeah, Uh, right? Uh, You know, all these things are going on. But it doesn't end with God's judgment. It ends with a wedding feast. We're all together enjoying good food prepared for us by the Lord. That's the context that God has for our restoration is through a communal meal that he has prepared. Restoration has a context. He's blessed them in their efforts. They've received this meal and and nothing they've done has earned Jesus responding to them this way. He just abundantly gives them grace. He gives them this material provision. I mean, he's made the food, but also 153 fish, which, you know, I don't have the exchange rate for that, but like it was a big, big deal. Like he has materially blessed these men in ways they've never experienced before. And in all of this, Peter's gonna receive restoration and he engages with Peter in a context where he can be clear but also gentle. Later in these verses, we see that 
they were walking on the beach. The meal's done. They're full, they're satisfied. Hey, Peter, let's, let's go for a walk. I just have to wonder where Peter's head was at when that walk started. He's like, oh, he didn't bring it up in front of all the other guys. John's lingering back there. He's kind of taking notes on this whole thing. I bet Jesus is going to bring up what happened a couple days ago. But he's going to bring up my failure. And that leads us to number two. Restoration is reorientation. Restoration is reorientation. As Jesus begins his talk with Peter, he, he dives into his heart. Peter, Peter, do you love me? He starts with a proper orientation. Hey, Peter, um, not just do you love me, you've just experienced an amazing meal. Jesus is like, chef kiss, right? You've experienced this amazing meal I've provided for you. Do you love me more than what you've just experienced? Do you love the gifts or the gift giver? Do you praise the gifts or the gift giver? And so here's Peter just trying to get oriented right and Jesus is going right at his heart. These are all great things to receive. I wanna be really clear. As a Christian, we should be the most grateful people at enjoying the good things in life. Good food, good drink, good relationships, beauty, aesthetics, activity. Like we should be the best at enjoying the gifts that God has given because we know the gift giver. Do you love me more than these though? Translation this way. Do you love Jesus more than what you can get from Jesus? That's a tough one. I've had some pretty epic failures in my life. And yet God has been so good to me to give me a loving wife, my kids, to let this be part of how I spend my vocational adult life. Huge blessing, but do I love Jesus just more than the good things I've gotten from Jesus? I don't know. We experience restoration as much as we have an orientation towards Jesus that sees us being reconciled with him as the greatest gift. Let me put it this way. Being with Jesus is not your means to a better life. Being with Jesus is the better life. That's what we believe it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That being with Jesus is not the means to a better life, but life with Jesus is the better life. And that leads us to number three. We see here that restoration is comprehensive. We know Peter failed three times. And as Jesus starts to engage with Peter's heart and starts to ask the question, Peter kind of grows more indignant, but then a light bulb goes off with that third question. He's like, oh, I see what he's doing here. He's asking me three times the way I was asked three times, do you even know Jesus? And and it says here that it grieved him Peter was grieved, but what what Jesus is actually doing is intentionally walking Peter through restoration. He's walking him through a process, one that Peter gets to participate with. And and what is uh, amazing about this is he's not calling out Peter's sin. Let's be clear. Like, Jesus knows Peter's sin. He looked him in the eye when he did it. 
God knows your sin. Jesus knows your sin. And his hope for you and his answer for you in your sin is restoration, is redemption. And so rather than P- Jesus saying, okay, Peter, remember how you feel here? Like, like, he's like not doing the like, you know, post game, let's watch the video about how you, you missed the block over here, you missed your cue there, right? No, no. He's drilling down into Peter into what Peter's deepest desires are. Paul says it this way that sometimes like we sin when like that's not even our deepest desires, just we're still weak, broken people. And so Jesus is calling Peter and he's calling us back to our deepest desire. And he's saying, if you're in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, your deepest root desire is communion with Jesus. Is your relationship with Jesus. And he's doing so much more than just covering his sin. I mean, Jesus paid for his sin on the cross. He said, in terms of that, it is finished. And so he's been forgiven, but he's getting so much more than a reset back to neutral. To be clear, it is good news that your sin is paid for on the cross, that your debt is gone. How many of us have been in positions where we're like, I would love to just get back to zero? Ever had an overdraft on your account? You're like, oh, I'd sure go for a zero right now. No, but here, Jesus is so comprehensive. He's not, he's not hitting the reset button for Peter. He's, he's restoring Peter back to his intended and original purpose. And that leads us to number four, restoration has a response. The response to the love of Jesus is living on the mission of Jesus. He says, hey, all right, Peter, I, I said you were gonna be the rock. I, you know, it was kind of a joke, Peter, because you, know, you kind of crumble all the time, but I'm still gonna use you, Peter, to build your church. No matter how much we've failed, yeah, I mean, there's, there are certain sins and activities that, like they, they disqualify you for leadership, right? Like, but... All God has to work with is failures. And in his restoration, he doesn't just bring us back to neutral, but he says, your life is going to be on in response where you are going to be actively engaged in advancing the mission of God and Jesus Christ that is one of mercy, that is one of grace, that is one of restoration. Peter receives this peace, and and interestingly enough, this is not the end of his ministry. It's really kind of just the beginning of it. You go read the book of Acts, all of a sudden, Peter's, pre- Peter's preaching to thousands of people on Pentecost. And yet in this, Jesus is so clear that these are my sheep. If you're in leadership, the best you are is an under-shepherd, but you're really also just a sheep. You need to be shepherded by Jesus. If you're a parent, you need to be shepherded by Jesus. If you're a business owner, you need to be shepherded by Jesus. All of us, no matter our station in life, are all sheep that need a shepherd. And yes, he says to Peter, kind of, hey, tend my sheep. Just know the sheep are Jesus's. Our chief shepherd is always Jesus. That's who is caring for us. Sometimes he does it through other people, right? But Jesus has one mission, but he has a unique purpose for each disciple. And number five, he, he call, restoration calls us from comfort. 
Restoration calls us from comfort. Peter's restored to lead and care and feed Jesus' sheep. I mean, in this case, Peter's role is leadership. All of us have a role in God's mission. And the three times that Peter's called to feed my sheep, right? Jesus is the great shepherd, like we said. Um, that's why like a, a month from now, we announced this at the beginning of January, but in case y'all forgot, a month from now, I'm gonna actually begin my first sabbatical uh, as, um, as a full-time pastor. Uh, I'll be gone over the summer. And there's parts of me that are like, oh no, what's gonna happen to the church with me being gone? And you guys should all roll your eyes in hearing that sentence right there. You're like, come on, Chris, you're not that big a deal. And it's really not your church anyway. See, I have to be reminded they're Jesus' sheep. And so, like, by God's grace, like, Matt's going to preach, Curtis is going to preach, we've got some other pastors that are going to come in and preach uh, throughout the summer, some awesome leaders at some other churches in our area and in our region. Uh, and, but, I mean, I just have such great confidence being reoriented by God's word that, like, Jesus is the shepherd. His church is going to be fine. In fact, not just fine. I mean, Jesus told Peter, the gates of hell are not going to prevail from the advancing nature of God's people on mission for him. So we all have our roles, we all have our times where we're taking rest, we all have all that, but, but the mission keeps going, the mission keeps advancing, and sometimes he's calling us away from places of comfort, right? It's not always gonna be easy to be on mission. Sometimes we go to places that we wouldn't choose, but that God knows are the best for us and our purposes. If you're restored by Jesus, it's to respond by following Jesus. And that leads us to number six. I had a bonus point. There we go, number six. <laughs> Restoration is evident to others for the edification of others. H how do we know about Peter's restoration? The reason we know about Peter's restoration is not from 1 Peter. Like we've read through 1 Peter. You can look at 2 Peter. Peter does not outline, let me tell you what Jesus did for me on that beach. No, we learn about Peter's restoration from John. John's hanging back, taking notes. And, and by the time the book of John has come out, John's gospel has gone out amongst the churches, um, it's most likely that Peter had already been martyred. That Peter was already crucified upside down. That's what he meant when he said, hey, you're gonna go places in ways you don't wanna go. And the church of God, God's people are like, hey, here's what we know about Peter. Um, he's, a, he's the one that failed Jesus at prime time. And John's here to tell us, to tell the church then and the church now, no, 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 you can listen to Peter and here's why. I've seen what Jesus has done in Peter's life. Jesus has restored Peter, he's renewed Peter, he's recommissioned Peter for mission. So you can have some confidence in engaging with Peter's teachings, with engaging with Peter's legacy, and it's for the edification of others. I saw what God did in his life. When God restores you, it's for the encouragement and edification of others. That's why we can lead with how we failed when we know that our restoration is greater than our failure. This is what God has done in my life. And when it's in community, this is why it's so important these things happen in community, because we're gonna say, no, no, I saw God work in that guy's life. Oh, I saw God work in their marriage. Oh, I saw God work in that student. Like I, we get to see these things and we get encouraged so that we can have 
yeah, assurance about Peter, but also comforted that no matter how great our failure is, Jesus' ability to restore is greater than still. If he can, if he can restore Peter, there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us in Jesus. Because as I said, that all God has to work with is, is failures. So what's interesting about this is, even though Peter's been restored and recommissioned, you look later in the book of Acts, Peter's ministry was not perfect. Like at, at one point, later, after all this, planting churches, all these different things, like Peter's having this awesome ministry, Paul still has to call out Peter for racism. Because Peter's still struggling with his fear of man rather than responding to revering God. He's still an imperfect pastor. There's hope for all of us. And that leads us to these last verses as we're done, remaining focused in our restoration. Verse 20 to the end says this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, right? John's back there. The one who also leaned against him during the supper and he said, Lord, who is going to betray you? That was on, the, on um, the Last Supper, verse 21. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. There's an exclamation point. So the saying spread abroad to all the brothers and sisters that this disciple did not die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he wasn't going to die. He just said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, that's, what is it to you? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who had written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We fail as individuals and our restoration is also individual. So my call for you today, my hope and prayer for you today is that you would receive individual redemption and restoration that comes when you have your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And in that, Peter's received this restoration and what happens is when we've received God's grace, Peter's first thing after hearing, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, all these things, is all of a sudden he's like, hey, what, what about John? What, do you, what about him, Peter? And Jesus is just like, right, right, eyes up here, Peter. Quit squirreling out. Don't worry about that guy. You follow me. And I love that. Because in the last couple years, through societal upheaval and church drama and, and, and racial strife and political strife and, and pandemic and economic stuff, right, everybody's wilding out. Everybody's scattering. Two years ago, any of you think you were moving to Florida? No, right? Everybody's going all over the place. And people are like, oh, I'm, I'm going this way theologically, or, you know, I just don't go to church anymore. Like, and I'll just tell you, like, like when I, I watch this front row seat, as I, I watch people go directions where I'm like, I, what, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, we're called to go this way. And, and, and I just feel this conviction reading these verses, as I, uh, pondering them this week. It's like, Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about them. You follow me. That's his call to us in our restoration. Is, I mean, God has different paths and journeys for other people. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through him. But our focus is to not worry about all the noise of those around us, but to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who when we want to compare ministries or we want to compare callings or we want to compare the paths people are going or the decisions people are making, that's not our role. Our role is to not worry, but to follow Jesus. And as this book closes, as John closes, we're given this hope that the works that Jesus has done cannot be contained. The work Jesus is doing in the world cannot be contained. And so all of us, when we've experienced the restoration that comes from Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus and you're a Christian, then we're gonna invite you here in a moment to come and take communion and take that meal. But I also want us to have hope looking forward to that final meal. That's the reason I said Last Supper. Uh, that's the Last Supper before the crucifixion, but man, I'm, I'm looking forward to that final feast. That final restoration of all things, new heavens, new earth, no sin, no suffering, no failure, no death, or even an option. And in between, we can have some comfort and some confidence that we have a God that does so much more than give us a reset. But he gives us restoration. And we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us and you are good for us. Lord, I thank you so much that for the example of Peter, God, that his greatest failure is met with even greater mercy and redemption and restoration from you, Jesus. Lord, I don't know the stories of the people that are here today, but you do. And Lord, there are some here that have experienced amazing redemption, amazing restoration. Lord, I pray in the next moments that it would just cause our hearts to sing. Lord, for those of us who feel like we are defined by our failure or are still walking in sin, Holy Spirit, I pray not just that you would bring conviction, yes, but comfort that restoration is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that you lead us to new lives, not, not that are perfect yet, but our lives of repentance, lives of holiness, and lives of longing for that day that you return. Where perfection is experienced. And shame is no more. God, you are good to us. You are good for us. In Jesus' name, amen.